loves to equip and train. She has a love for the nations. And she's been impacted by a school and a church and environment and a culture. And she's making a sacrifice to go give that to someone else. And that at its essence and core is Jesus. And so um, we feel like a proud family, every one of us, everyone in this church, everyone who's been through the school with her, and proud papas and mamas sending her out today. And there's just this sense in the spirit says, you can do it, go for it. We're behind you. We're there. You're part of us. We're part of you. So would you welcome Sherry Lewis. introduction. I don't know who put this up here. Um, is this one of Lydia's? And um, somebody put it up, but it reminds me of Sherry. It's a woman, I think, um, surrendered with fire. Surrendered to the Lord with fire and the glory of the Lord circling around. Not a bad day, huh? Yeah. So Sherry? Well, my goal was to make it without crying. We've already messed that up. So now my next goal is to make it through the whole summer with my shoes on. We're going we're gonna to try to make it through that one. Wow. Thank you, guys. Um, we really are going to try to not cry anymore to the very, very, very end. <laughs> take my shoes off. I can take them off. Okay, good. Good. good, good. There goes the shoes. All right. All right. Very good. So, wow, that was the perfect introduction. The praise and worship was perfect. Everything was just perfect, perfect going along with what uh, I'm going to say today. Um, I have been a God chaser for a long time. I got saved at the age of eight, was raised by amazing, amazing parents in the church. I am a straight-up church girl through and through, always been in the church. But back in college, there was a time when I started hungering for more of God and wanting more. And uh, I got in touch with these radicals in the Baptist church that I was going to, and they got me filled with the Holy Ghost. And, oh, boy, that was just the beginning of an adventure. And I, I continued pursuing God and wanting more and more of God. And so around that time, I, got, uh, I was in medical school, actually, and got introduced to this prophetic worship intercessory church that was just ridiculous. It was just we used to meet in the basement every night. I would drive from Philadelphia down to Delaware every single night of the week, five nights a week. We would sit in the presence of God. We would soak. We would worship. We would prophesy. I learned intercession by sitting at the feet of one of the greatest intercessors on the face of the planet. And intercession opened me up to worship and opened me up to the prophetic and just opened me up to the kingdom. During that time, I met a man uh, who started teaching the kingdom of God and the concepts of the kingdom of God. This is back in 1990. And I got obsessed with this thing called the kingdom of God. It became my magnificent obsession is what I would call it. 
And I just wanted more and more and more and more. Well, medical school kind of, I kind of did it as a correspondence course, but I, I went and I would take the test. I would bring home the syllabus and study because all I wanted to do all day long was chase God. And around that time, I started getting prophetic words. You're going you're gonna to teach children in Africa. 20 years ago, you're going to teach children in Africa one day. You're going to preach in stadiums and you're going to preach the kingdom of God and the word of God. So I just continued to chase God and I would read books by Rick Joyner. Me and Yvette would go visit Rick Joyner's church. I was reading everything I could get my hands on about the kingdom. In fact, I may sound profound today. I've been reading Rick Joyner books and John Paul Jackson and Paul Keith Davis, Miles Monroe, listening to Randall Worley series. So if I say anything profound, it's probably one of them. I can't quote them because it's been 20 years. So it's all in here. I have no idea who it's from, who said it. But if I say something brilliant, it's probably Bill Johnson, Chris Ballard, and Randall Worley, one of those guys. But I can't give them credit because it's all kind of jumbled up in my head and in my DNA and who, and who I am. Just from reading all these things all these years, chasing God and wanting more of God all these years. There was one time I was sitting with a friend of mine and I was just going on and on about the kingdom and how what the kingdom of God really is. It's the fact that we're not subject to this, this, to this world. We're not subject to the rules of this world, that we live in a realm where miracles happen, where we're not subject to sickness. We're not subject to poverty. And I went on and on about what the kingdom is. And she looked at me and she was like, I don't see that happening in your life. And I'm like, oh, dang. And it became the most frustrating thing to me to preach and teach the kingdom, to have this body of knowledge about what the kingdom of God was, but for it not to be demonstrated in my life on a daily basis. My finances weren't looking like that. I was getting sick. I wasn't praying for the sick. I wasn't raising the dead. And so I would spout all this wonderfulness about what the kingdom was, but I had nothing to back it up. There were no signs and miracles following. And that's one of the main things that Bill Johnson preaches. Like, we preach the kingdom through signs and wonders. And I wasn't doing that. And I just got filled with this holy dissatisfaction. And be careful doing this. I would sit around and pray all the time, God, I want to be a revivalist. I want to raise up a mighty army of God that's going to change the world. I want to do this. And I, want to, and I would pray. And I give you my life. And I sacrifice everything. And don't pray those prayers if you really don't mean it. Because... My stuff is on a ship in Africa right now from praying those prayers 20 years ago. So be careful. But I, I, would, I, would, I would read Rick Joyner's books about um, the final quest where it would talk about this army that would come across the world and the world was looking horrible and messed up and this army would come and march and behind them the world would be left green and abundant and looking like Eden again. And I'd be like, yes, that's what I want, God. I want to recreate Eden in the earth. I want to bring the kingdom of God to earth. But it's not happening in my life every day. And I, I can preach about it. I can teach about it. I can talk about it all day long, but I'm not demonstrating it. So about three years ago, Yvette, gives me this book called When Heaven Invades Earth. And she says, you got to listen to this guy's podcast. you got to listen to this and, and get a hold of this. And I read the book, and it was everything that I ever wanted, everything that I ever dreamed, everything that I ever prayed, everything that I ever told God I wanted was right here in this book. And this man was not only talking about it like I was, but he was doing it. And I was like, God, i got to have this. I will give you everything. So I started making plans. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit my job. I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to move to California. And then right about that time, I hear this podcast where Bill Johnson, this guy that read, wrote this fabulous, fabulous book, is releasing this couple to come back to Atlanta and start this school. And I'm like, I prayed this here. I totally prayed this here because, you know. And... 
And, and so there it was. I didn't have to move to California. I didn't have to leave my family. I didn't have to go anywhere. I just had to drive 45 minutes every night, I mean, two nights a week. And there it was. Everything that I'd asked for, everything that I'd prayed for, everything that I'd hoped for, it was not only the knowledge of the kingdom, but being able to demonstrate, being able to walk it out, being able to do it. And so today is an amazing day for me because it's the culmination of the last 22 years of dreams, of prophetic promises, of words that God has spoken over my life. And it's just, it's amazing. A, a few years ago, let's see, when did I quit my job? I quit my job a year ago. Um, I'd gotten completely dissatisfied, really was angry with God because he had made me all these promises about what I was going to do and what my life was going to look like. And my life looked nothing like that at all. I wasn't in Africa teaching children. I wasn't in preaching in stadiums. I wasn't really changing anyone's, well, I mean, you know, you change people on a daily basis, but not to the scale of these 20 years of prophetic promises that he'd given me. And so I just was really angry. You don't keep your promises. Don't give me another prophetic word. I don't want to hear it. Try making all those true that you've said all these years and then you can say something else to me but right now I really ain't trying to too much hear any much of anything you got to say and so I really had to get over this place of anger and this place of discouragement there was a lot of things that happened that just you know I would think I was going to walk in my dreams and then something would happen it would devastate my entire life and I'd fall apart I was married to this man and we had all these prophetic dreams about what we were going to do together and where we were going to go and this we were going to be pastors and we we're going to travel the world and then he lost his mind and we got a divorce and I'm bankrupt and I'm like what happened to your promises, God? I mean, when do we get to that? When do we get? And so all this pain and discouragement and disappointment and all these things just built this horrible, yucky place in my heart towards God to where I no longer believed his promises and I no longer really believed that he was good or faithful, which is kind of crazy if you're in a church where all they say is God is good, God is good, God is good, God is good. No, he's not. <laughs> he doesn't keep his promises. He doesn't do what he says. He makes good promises, but that's about as good as he gets. And so I got to this point where I'm working in a prison. I'm working as a doctor in a women's prison. It doesn't get any more depressing than that, I promise you. And so my dreams are all inside of me every day. They're rising up more and more and more and more. Now, obviously, I'm not completely discouraged. I did enroll in the school. I did, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm mad at him, but at the same time, I'm still chasing him. And I'm, I'm mad and I'm angry and I'm telling him he's not keeping his promises. But yet, somewhere inside, I had to believe him because... I was working full-time, I was writing books, I was marketing books, I was traveling and touring books, and in school full-time. And you only really do that if you believe that God is going to do what he's going to do. It just was taking too long, that's all. I mean, it's been 20 years. I mean, give me a break. 20 years. And so I finally got to the point where I was so discouraged, so depressed, so overwhelmed that it was the week before Thanksgiving. I take off from work, and I, I literally called my boss Saturday and said, I won't be at work next week. I'm going to Jamaica. And all that week, I sat on the beach, and I prayed, and I cried out to God, and I just said, where are your promises? Where are your promises? And I had to overcome all the discouragement, all the disappointment, all the believing that he wasn't real. All the, this is not what I plan to preach. This is not my notes. I don't know who is pulling this out, but okay, we'll just go with it. And I had to get rid of all the discouragement, everything that was inside me, and release and forgive and let go. And I said, okay, God, you are good. You are good. You are good. Even if nothing in my surroundings and nothing about my life looks like that right now, I'm just going to believe that truth. And I'm just going to believe that truth, no matter what it looks like, no matter what's going on. I'm just going to believe you're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. 
And it was freeing myself of discouragement and disappointment and daring to believe that in spite of what I saw, in spite of what my circumstances looked like, that he was still good. Over the course of that week, sitting on the beach in Jamaica by myself, I was able to say, okay, well, if you are good and if your promises are true, then if I quit my job, you're going to make you're going to do what you said. If I make myself completely available to you, then you're going to do what you said. So that was that was November. I came back. My birthday was January 13th. I took my birthday off, sat in my prayer room all day and prayed. And finally, I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump. Doggone it. You better catch me, God. Okay. And so not too long after that, um, I got a, an email from a young lady in Cameroon, and she had read my book, Dance into Destiny. Dance into Destiny, I started writing when I was at my most frustrated and discouraged because I was pursuing a career that I didn't want to pursue and, and, and killing all my dreams to be a doctor. You know, we, we, we pursue some things our parents encourage to do and society encourages to do, but it wasn't my dream. I always wanted to be an artist and to sing and to dance and to choreograph and to write and to do, to express the kingdom of God through the arts. And so that's why I was so miserable as a doctor. It was not at all what I wanted to do. I wasn't living my dreams. I wasn't pursuing my destiny. I wasn't doing me. And so I was trapped and unhappy and miserable. People still say to me now, They think they're giving me this wonderful word, and you're going to use your medicine in Africa. No, I'm not. I don't want to ever practice medicine again. Medicine represents to me death. It's, 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 it's this life that I chose that wasn't my dream and wasn't my destiny. And so if you tell me God is going to pull that full circle, no, I'm not. I'm not going to, if I practice medicine, that means I'm not believing God. That means I'm not doing what I was born to do. If I go back to that, that's going back to death. That's going back to misery. So no, don't prophesy to Sherry that God is going to use her in Africa as a doctor. No, it's not happening. Okay. So I got this letter. (laughs) I got this email that um, this girl in Cameroon had read my book and she said, It's hard to believe that youth groups in Cameroon are just like youth groups in America because the book is about um, a young woman who wanted to teach and to help young people in the inner city and help make their lives better and to help them pursue their dreams. That was another one of my dreams, just to help young people pursue destiny. And she went on to tell me how she was being forced into a career that she didn't want to do, that her parents wanted her to do, and that's how every child is in Cameroon where you either have to be an accountant, a doctor, a lawyer, or something. You know, there's like five careers and that's all you can do. And, And it's so deeply touched me that I emailed her and we started emailing back and forth and we started Facebook and you can go ahead and cue the, the YouTube. We started Facebooking fact back and forth and then um, just do it without the volume. We started Facebooking back and forth and then all of a sudden I start waking up in the middle of the night praying for revival in Cameroon. Strangest things of all things. And so I told her about it. You can go ahead and play it. I told her about it and uh, she said, oh yeah, we're praying for you to come over and preach at our, our anniversary this year. And I was like, okay, I'll come. Just stop praying so I can get some sleep. And so I started visit, I, I visited last year, July. And it was, in fact, I preached the first time here last July. It was probably the exact same Sunday. My dad was laying in the hospital with a tube in his throat at the, at the edge of death. Stand up, daddy. He was completely paralyzed, completely messed up. <laughs> and uh, now he's back to playing golf. This is Cameroon. This is, this is where I'll be going. This is Drew in Cameroon. Yay, Drew. 
And uh, he, he, was, he was in the hospital, but he's now, yesterday I think he probably walked about five miles. He's back driving, playing golf. He's, he's our miracle. I thank Bethel so much for praying my dad through that. And it just, oh God. So I went to Cameroon for the first time in July, and that was it. It was over. I mean, if you see these beautiful, smiling faces, you see these kids completely, Drew. <laughs> You see these beautiful smiling faces. You see these kids completely sold out to God. I mean, you never have to pump them up to praise and worship. You never have to ask them to pray. They, in fact, you're like, I'm ready to go home. We've been here long enough. I mean, they're completely on fire for God. This is us walking up to go to a blind center. These kids laid hands and prayed for a whole school of blind children, and they just were not afraid. We went to the hospital. There was this guy that was paralyzed. He got up and walked around the room. I mean, it was just amazing. We saw miracles. This guy, they chased him down outside the Internet Cafe, and they prayed for him. That's the guy that was paralyzed, walking, lifting his arms. When we walked in the room, he could not move and was laying in the bed. And so it's just these kids were completely on fire and completely in love with God. And I just, I don't know, had to give my life to give them more. I mean, I feel like I've received so much here at Bethel. It's been amazing. And I just want to go back and and give everything. The last trip in November was really, really difficult. And I was like, you know, Heidi Baker is my absolute hero. I mean, oh my God, she's just amazing. And one of her favorite phrases is, I'm a laid down lover for God. And when I was there this time, you know, the bed was hard, the latrine was difficult, the everything was difficult. And I just was like, God, maybe I'm not a laid down lover. I'll come for two weeks, but I'm not trying to do this long term. And I even have written in my journal, maybe I'll just go two weeks at a time. I'll send the DVDs over and they can watch the DVDs and I'll come, you know, every six months to impart and that'll be the school. And I just, I don't know, it wasn't enough. It wasn't, it wasn't enough. And so, like I said, now my furniture is on a ship in Cameroon and we're waiting for the customs people to clear it and put it in my house. And I'm getting on a plane in nine days. And that's that. So, such has been my obsession and such has become my obsession. The thing that moved me the most about Bill Johnson is this phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what I wanted. I wanted, how do we bring heaven to earth? How do we bring the kingdom of God to earth? How does it come out of my head as these intellectual philosophies that I can spout day and night to become a real reality that changes people's lives? Because that's what it's about, right? We're not just supposed to sit in church every Sunday and, you know, eat with one another and be with one another and have a wonderful time fellowshipping. And then wait until next Sunday and it'd be life as usual. We are radical world changers. Now, I realize I'm a a snob now that I'm a missionary and I've sold my house and, well, you know, and my everything. I'm a bit of a snob and I'm like, quit your job and go build the kingdom. I realize that's not realistic because somebody has to pay for me to go. But, you know, we, we need to be more radical about manifesting the kingdom in our, everyday, in our everyday lives. So on earth as it is in heaven, what is the priority of the kingdom of God in our lives? Really examine that. Really look at that. If someone were to encounter you at any moment, in any day, during your week, are you a kingdom citizen? Are you a revivalist? Would their lives be changed from having encountered you? What is supposed to be the priority of the kingdom? We're supposed to seek first 
the kingdom of God. It's the pearl of great price where we go and we sell everything that we have to buy it. The treasure in the field where we sell everything we have to buy it. Where we leave mothers, fathers, sisters, and brothers and everything that we know to go chase, to go pursue, to go establish the kingdom of God. Kill the oxen and then use the plow for the fire to burn it and send it all throughout the city and go chase God, what is the priority of the kingdom of God in your life? I really want you to examine your life, your everyday walk, your interaction with others, and really see, are you a kingdom citizen? Are you a revivalist? Are you representing the king of kings in everything that you do, everywhere you go? Is it on your mind first thing in the morning when you wake up? Do you live to reveal and to establish the kingdom of God in the earth. If not, I challenge you, change some stuff around. Do what you got to do because Jesus commanded us to seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. And if it's not first, then you got to do whatever you got to do to make it first. That's a huge challenge. Not everybody's going to get on a plane and go to Africa and live. But there's something that you can be doing every single day. And it's really more of a mindset than anything else where the kingdom is first and foremost, and every decision you make is based on that, is based on seeking first the kingdom of God. So what exactly is this kingdom? I mean, what is the kingdom of God? If you really, I mean, we, 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 we throw the term around, but what really is it? Sometimes I ask people that, and, they're, they, and, and you know, we really don't often really know or define it in terms and understand what the kingdom of God is. And I, I, did a, I did a podcast last year this time. You can look it up on Bethel Atlanta. I can't spend too much time on it. But it is the rule and reign of God. It is the government of God. It is the sovereignty of God. It is this whole other world where his rules rule. When, when he put Adam and Eve in Eden for them to rule and to have dominion over the earth, he established his kingdom. It was an outpost of heaven. That was supposed to rule over the earth. It was the representation of this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like, but it's going to be administrated through these people, through dominion. And that's who we're supposed to be. When God put Adam and Eve in Eden, it was all about dominion. It was all about ruling. It was all about extending the kingdom of God. When Jesus was here on the earth, everything that he did manifested the kingdom. He walked on water and showed that the kingdom of God is superior to the laws of nature. He multiplied food and showed that the kingdom of God is superior to the laws of poverty and the laws of economics in this world. He healed the sick and showed that the kingdom is superior to the rules that normally govern our bodies. I mean, every miracle he did said this is the kingdom and it's bigger than the world you live in. So the kingdom of God is the fact that God is completely sovereign, he's completely perfect, he's whole, it's healing, it's abundance, it's wealth, it's prosperity, it's intimacy, it's perfect relationship with God. Adam walked with God in the cool of the evening in perfect relationship. There was no separation, there was no, is this God that I'm hearing, is it not God? There was perfect harmony, unity, intimacy between God and man. And so every day, everything about us, we're supposed to be establishing the rule and reign of God in the earth and demonstrating just like Jesus did. We're not subject to this world. The rules don't apply to us. The only rules that apply to us are the rules and laws of the kingdom. We don't have to bow to sickness. We don't have to bow to lack, to poverty, to depression, to emotional upheaval. We don't have to give in to any of this. We live in a world... That's above all of this. That is the kingdom of heaven, the rule and the reign and the government of God. 
And we're supposed to be doing greater works than Jesus did. And that's, that's when we're seeking first the kingdom and living in the reality of the kingdom that we'll walk that out. There's no way that we can't. There's no way that we can't. When is the kingdom of heaven is a great question. Because I was taught as a little Baptist girl that it was in heaven after the tribulation, the millennium, and all that revelation stuff happens. But I really want to challenge you. When is the kingdom of God? If you look at Daniel 2, there's a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has. And there's all the kingdoms of the world are represented where he has the, the, the head of gold, the, uh, the chest of silver, the, the bronze, and the feet of iron. And he says, that's going to topple down. And then there's going to be a stone that's going to crack it and topple it down. And that stone is going to become a mountain that fills the whole earth. And when he goes back and he explains, he talks about this kingdom is first, this kingdom is next, this kingdom is next, and then there's this kingdom. And in the days of those kings, God is going to establish his own kingdom and it's going to rule forever and ever. So is that at the end of time? Let's really, really think about it because he described the Babylonian empire the Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, and then the Roman Empire, okay? When he was describing those four kingdoms, and he does it all throughout the book of Daniel, so there's no question. It's amazing to read this, the subtext in my Bible because he's, he explains that perfectly, and he says, but scholars say that this is really at the end of time, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, where did you get that? If you interpret the scripture correctly, it says these kings, Babylon, Medo-Persian, Greek, Roman, and in the days of those kings, At the time of the Roman Empire, God is going to establish his kingdom. He's going to crash all these other kingdoms down with this small stone. And that small stone is going to become a big rock that fills the whole earth. When did Jesus come? In the Roman Empire. When is the kingdom? When did the kingdom start? Back at the time of Jesus, that was the advent of the kingdom of God. So if you're waiting for the rapture, if you're waiting for heaven, the millennium, the tribulation, please stop waiting and get to work. The kingdom is now. It's right now. Read your Bible, okay? Don't look at the charts, and I'm not going to mention his name, but the charts and the people on the TV, and don't do that. If you read your Bible, the kingdom is right now. And it's up to us to establish the kingdom in the earth right now. And if Christians sit around and wait for the rapture, nothing's ever going to happen. I hate that rapture mentality. I'm not going to get into eschatology today because we'll be here tomorrow. But that mentality totally incapacitates us. It makes us wait for something to happen before we rule. We're supposed to rule right now. And if we understand that, that reality will empower us to get up off our butts and to go establish the kingdom in the earth. Yes, I said but. It's right now. The kingdom is now. Okay? The kingdom is right now. Where is the kingdom? Where exactly is it? Randall Worley gives this amazing story when he's talking. He talks about how we think we're supposed to go straight up, hang a left at the Milky Way, go around Jupiter. I mean, we think heaven is in outer space. Really think about where you think heaven is. We think it's way, way, way far away and that God is way past the Milky Way. Heaven is right here in this room. I was reading the Bible one day and I was just looking, uh, something struck me and God asked me the question, where is heaven? I was like, it's in heaven. Heaven's in heaven, you know, 
But I started reading all these different, different stories. Like when Abraham was making the covenant with God and he put the birds out and, he, and, and, and in, in the middle between the birds and the sacrifice, there passed a smoking oven and a burning torch. The glory of God manifested itself in the earth. If you look at Moses, he turns around and there's a burning bush. That's the glory of God, the heaven manifesting in the earth. If you look at the Israelites traveling with a pillar of cloud, a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, where is heaven? Heaven was right there on earth. If you look at where God came down on Mount Sinai and met with Moses and the elders, I mean, they literally saw the sea of glass. If you look in Revelations and it describes heaven, it talks about a sea of glass. When, when, when they were on the mountain, he said there was a sea of glass. Heaven, I'm going too fast. Thank you, Mommy. I'm getting excited. <laughs> heaven came down on Mount Sinai, and it was right there. They saw the crystal sea. Have you ever read the book of Ezekiel? I mean, heaven comes to earth. Ezekiel would open his eyes and look into the plain and he would see the glory of God, the cherubim, the seraphim, the wheels turning. He would literally see the glory of God. When uh, Elijah was with his servant and they were surrounded by the Syrian army and his servant was like, oh my God, we're about to die. And he said, God, please show him what's really good. And he opened his eyes and he saw that they were surrounded by angels. Where is heaven? I submit to you, heaven is all around us. And if you can break through this thin space, if you can break through the the veil between the natural and the supernatural, you can press yourself into heaven at any time. Heaven comes to where you are. I have had the most miserable last three weeks of my life. I mean, it wasn't as miserable as my divorce, but it's coming pretty close. I mean, it's been really, really, really difficult. There have been some huge emotional challenges and crises. There was one week where there was a crisis in my youth group in Cameroon every single day. I won't go into the details because I don't want to dishonor anybody. This one was on Facebook. The head of Youth Aglow got robbed at knife point. I'm like, this is where I'm going? I mean, my, my, my Cameroonian daughter got malaria, and it was resistant malaria. She had to be treated with nine drips. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to the land of demons and malaria. I mean... And it started to, I mean, so many other things kept happening and it felt like things were unraveling. I got a phone call that the woman who owns the house all of a sudden doesn't want to rent the house. I'm like, where am I going to stay? You know, the school building thing fell through. I mean, it's just one thing after another and another and another. And it's been challenging to the point where I was like, I ain't going over there. (laughs) Really, I was. I really got to the point where I like, I was really considering whether or not I was going to go. And I felt God ask me, where is heaven? press into heaven. You preach this wonderful sermon about living life from the third heaven. Why don't you do that right about now? And so I was like, okay, okay, we're going to press into heaven. We're going to press. And I tell you, even though it's been a difficult three weeks, I have experienced a personal revival like no other this last three weeks. I have been in that thin place where I'm like, I mean, where I'm literally looking around because I know there's an angel like sitting right by me. I'm like, oh, and I'm just trembling and shivering and I just have pressed and it's like consistent. You know, like every once in a while you're having this heavenly encounter and you tell the story about it for years and years afterwards because you don't have another one. It's been like every single time. All I have to do is like close my eyes and take a deep breath and whoo, I'm there. It's like I've identified where the portal 
to glory is. And now I know if I just step through this little space right here, I'll be in heavenly places. Oh, I could start shaking just talking about it. It's been amazing. And desperation and pain and worry and fear have pressed me into that point. Don't let that have to be what pressures you to that point. But it's so easy to get to heaven. I mean, it was in the Bible all the time. John closed his eyes and instantly I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and he saw the throne room of God. Ezekiel sat before God and had visions of God. And it's available to us right now. If you press through the little thin space, you can find yourself in heavenly realms. I was chatting with Kira, the young lady from from um, California, Reading's Bethel School of Ministry that's going with me. And she was like, oh my God, there's an angel right behind you. And I was like, I know, I feel it. We're like on Skype seeing angels. It was just like, oh, and we're just like, ah, you know, I mean, it's just been amazing, this personal revival and just experiencing that heaven is right here around us all the time. And all you have to do is just, Bill Johnson says, just turn yourself aside to it. Just focus on it for just a minute and you'll just find, oh, he's here. And it's just amazing when you find it consistently over and over. Every time I got a phone call from Cameron, I'm like, okay, let me go hide in my room and make the, the shakies come because I need the shakies right now. I need the presence of God. And I downloaded some new soaking music this, this week, and it's just, it's just been amazing. Heaven is all around us, and you can press into it at any moment, at any time. And if you're not doing it on a regular basis, you're missing normal Christian life. You're missing what we're supposed to be experiencing on a regular basis. I think the most profound scripture about where heaven is, is the kingdom of God is within you. Isn't that, what? I mean, have you really ever thought about that? There's so many times we quote scripture and it just kind of dances on by. But have you ever really thought about the fact that the kingdom of God lives within you? We should be turning the world upside down every single day. That's what the disciples did. They were described as the ones that turned the world upside down. And when we truly get a revelation of the fact that heaven is inside of us, what else will we do? How can it be life as usual when you understand the kingdom of heaven is inside you? When Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, they asked What was the most appropriate question for them to ask at that time? They'd been reading through scripture. All of Israel was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Since the time of the Babylonian captivity, they had been under rule by so many other nations. They had been under the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks. I mean, the Medo-Persians let them go back and build their city, but they were still paying tribute. They still weren't their own people. And even during the Roman Empire, we know of Herod and we know of all those kings that ruled them and controlled them. They were not their own kingdom. So they were waiting for the glory days of Israel to be restored. Back when David was king, back when Solomon was king, back when Israel was it, when people bought tribute to them and they were the ruling power on the earth. That's what they expected Jesus to bring back. And so when he comes back after his resurrection, the most appropriate question for anybody waiting for the kingdom of heaven to be restored, they asked. They said, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of heaven to earth? Because they're like, okay, surely this has to be it. You've gone, you've crucified, you've, you've risen, you're resurrected. This is the time for you to be king. And what was Jesus's answer? It's not for you to know, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you. I submit to you that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the kingdom of God has come to you. 
that you're in his kingdom. When, when the Holy Spirit is within, the kingdom of God is within you. So we're not waiting, as I said before, for his kingdom to come externally. But each one of us carries the kingdom of heaven within us. And so that question was answered. When is the kingdom coming? The Holy Spirit is coming in a few days, about 50 days from now. And that's when the kingdom of God was released into the earth in each and every one of us. The kingdom is now, and we're called to carry the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's our goal. That's what we're supposed to do. How do we do it? How do we bring heaven to earth? That song was so perfect in in praise and worship this morning. When my praises go up, heaven comes down, and two worlds collide. That's one of the most important ways that we bring the kingdom. God is enthroned in the praises of his people. So literally when we praise and worship, we bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And so we should live in a place of praise. We should live in a place of worship. We should live in a place where we're constantly invoking the presence. Oh, happy birthday, Stacy! Happy birthday. I forgot. Sorry. <laughs> Where we're constantly bringing the kingdom. Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> I was supposed to do that at the beginning. I forgot. It's hard. Yeah. So where we're constantly bringing the kingdom of God to earth in our praise and through our worship. That's what I was doing this week. Every time I hit that sweet spot, it was in worship. It was in worship. I literally invoked the presence. I brought heaven, angels, into the room in praise and in worship. And each one of us has the privilege, has the honor, has the responsibility of bringing heaven to earth. If we understand that, nobody should ever have to encourage us to praise and worship. It should be something that we see that we've got to do. I've got to bring heaven to earth. I've got to worship God and bring heaven to earth. Another way is through intercession. As I said, I was brought up in this ministry that was all about intercession. We would pray for hours and hours and hours and hours, and we would just bring heaven down. I mean, there was never a time where there wasn't the prophetic to come forth, but we didn't feel heaven. There was, the room would get hot. We would just, it would just be amazing because we spent hours in intercession. In, in Isaiah 62, God talks about setting watchmen on the wall that would never cease praying day or night until he established Jerusalem and the earth. We're not reestablishing old Jerusalem over in Israel, not geographic Jerusalem. We're trying to bring new Jerusalem, that thing that's in heaven, where in, in the book of Revelations where Jesus said, let me show you the bride, and he showed him a city, and it was the new Jerusalem. That's us. So we are Jerusalem. We're not praying for all that over there. We're not praying. When we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, let's, let's, let's think of that heavenly Jerusalem. Paul talks about not Jerusalem that's in earth, that's in bondage with her children, but Jerusalem that's from above in Galatians 4. That's the Jerusalem we're bringing to earth. That's the one that we're bringing into existence by our intercession. Cry out day and night, God, send revival to Cameroon. Send revival here in the United States. Let your glory fall. Let your kingdom come. Let it fill the earth. Let rain, let the rain of your presence come down. Hours in prayer where we cry out to God, establish your kingdom in the earth. Make me a a revivalist. Make me one that's completely sold out. I lay down my life. If you're not called to go to Africa, you may be called to pray day and night, to be one of those watchmen upon the wall that won't give heaven any rest. That's strong. It will give him no rest until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And then we bring the kingdom to earth by carrying it, by literally being filled with his glory 
and leaking it everywhere we go. The more time you spend in his presence, the more you soak, the more you just drink him in, the more you spend time with him, the more you're filled with his glory, the more everywhere you go, it leaks. I always talk about having an issue with the miraculous, and it's you know, one of those issues that God is helping me with, where the doctor brain kicks in and I'm not able to see past physiological science to actually consider that one second somebody might have a disease and then the next second it could be gone, that one second somebody could be blind and the next second they could see or deaf or whatever it is. I mean, that's mind-boggling to a physician that's been a physician for a long time. But I understand that in the glory. I was, I was worshiping this week and I had some worship music on and I just opened the book of Revelations and I just started reading the throne room in heaven with the cherubim and the cherubim and the 10,000 angels. And I started imagining the scene and I'm like, Okay, this is otherworldly. I mean, what would you do if you open your eyes and all that was there? This creature with, you know, the face of an ox and, a, and, a, and, a, and an eagle and a man. And I mean, what would you do if you saw a lion with, with you know, six wings and eyes? Every, what would you do if you opened your eyes and saw that? I mean, when we live in heavenly places, we understand that the supernatural is really natural, that it's real. And the more we spend time in the glory experiencing what heaven really is, that there are winged creatures that sing day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When we get into that heavenly place where we're always there and we understand that it's not business as usual, it's not about the physiology of the optic nerve connecting to the whatever nerve and blah, blah, blah. It's heaven it's this glorious supernatural place where anything can happen. I was praying about finances, and I, I found myself caught up into heaven. And me and God have a lot of places we go. Our favorite one is the beach. We have a house together that has a Starbucks in the basement and a jazz band that plays. But, I mean, we have great places that we go together. On this particular, and there, the Starbucks is more heavenly than you could ever imagine. And there's always, a, all I have to do is ask, and there's a barista there that's making me a perfect decaf soy latte. And then, you know, a strike and the jazz band starts playing, and me and Jesus are just chilling in our, in our that's one of our spots in heaven. Yeah, we have a lot of spots in heaven. The beach is gorgeous. I mean, the sunset over the beach in heaven is just really just, yeah. So I, I, I you know, so... One of the, we were in our garden this day, and we were just sitting, we have a garden, it has a huge hill, and it has, I love wildflowers, there's nothing more beautiful than wildflowers, and every color of wildflower is in our garden, and there's a stream, and it's pure crystal, it's just amazing, and we were sitting there, just Indian style on the ground in heaven, I can actually sit Indian style, and uh, we were sitting on the ground Indian style, and we were just kind of talking and chatting, and he's, he, he, he stretched out his arm, and he says, take a look. He said, why are you worried about money? And I looked at the flowers, and each petal on a flower was literally a gemstone. I looked at the water, and underneath the water, the the bottom of the water was gold. And the water rushing, I mean, it talks about in heaven a sea of crystal. It was liquid crystal that was running. And if you look at pictures of Eden, jewels littered the ground. Everything was abundant. And so when when we're sitting in heavenly places, everything that we need is there. It's like, why are you worried about money? There's jewels everywhere. And if we learn to bring heaven to earth, we can snatch those resources that we see so freely in the heavenly realms, and we can bring them back to earth. And there is no lack. There is no poverty. There is no need. I loved reading, I can't remember what book it was, where it talked about the room in heaven where there's all these parts. 
where there, if, if anybody needs a miracle, there's a leg, there's a spine, there's an eye, there's new ears. I mean, all these parts. How do we bring these parts from heaven? How do we bring these riches from heaven? How do we bring the abundance of heaven to earth? Because that's what we're called to do on earth as it is in heaven. We've got to spend time in the heavenly realms, be filled up with this glory, and then bring it back to earth. So I really challenge you. What is the priority of the kingdom in your life? What is the importance of heaven in your life? Is there some rearranging that you need to do so that heaven is first, so that the kingdom is first, so that your magnificent obsession is bringing heaven to earth? What do you need to do to experience more of his glory? Do you need to get up a a half hour early to soak and to put on music and to just really be caught up there where angels are, where there's cherubim and seraphim, where there's jewels and just gold and everything that we possibly need, where there's a room full of parts, where there's miracles? We gotta make heaven first and we gotta bring heaven to earth. Oh dear, I was supposed to do this in the beginning too. I just launched straight into it. I just, I really, okay, this is the part where I cry, so it's probably best that I did it last. So I just really want to thank, see, here I go, Steve and Lindy, because it was you guys being willing to chase your dream that's releasing me into my dream right now. If you guys hadn't been willing to lay down your life and to start this school, I don't know that I'd be going to Cameroon right now. And I just, I really honor you guys as our pastors. I really honor you and everything that you've done here and everything that you've done with the school and everything that you're doing to raise up an army of revivalists. And so now that's going to continue in Cameroon. That The army that you're raising here is now going to be extended and there's going to be a whole new army of revivalists raised there. So I just want to thank you. Last year you preached a sermon and said, it was January, it was the first Sunday in January, and you said, this is the year that dreams come true. And this is my dream coming true, so I just really thank you for everything that you've been. And Steve and Tracy, you guys are amazing. Tracy, you have been there for me in my worst, worst, worst times, and I've called you like this, crying, miserable, and you've spoken the word of God to me, and everything was all right. You know, you've taught me off the bridge. You've taught me off the wall. You've made it okay. I just want to thank you for being just the most amazing friend. I'm so glad to know that I have your phone number in Cameroon, and I can call you at any time. (laughs) And Steve Cooper, you are the most amazing life coach on the face of the planet. I would not be going to Cameroon if it weren't for you. And I just... I'm going to tell you something. If you want to know what your destiny is, if you want to reach your destiny, spend some sessions with this guy. If you are not launched into destiny after eight sessions with Steve Cooper, there is no hope for you. (laughs) And I'm so serious about that. If you talk to this man, you will find yourself with a new set of wings and you'll be flying into your destiny. If you spend time with him, I'm telling you, he is an incredible and invaluable resource that Bethel Atlanta is so very blessed to have. I thank you guys for being such good friends to me. I mean, you know, I love you so much. Mom and dad, I won't be able to speak English, so just thank you, you know. (laughs) 
Joy, my sister is the most supportive person on the face of the earth. And I just, I can't say enough about how much she's loved me and how much she's supported me and how much I know she has my back. She gives me presents all the time. She knows I love football, so now I have a Pittsburgh Steelers jersey. And I'm trying to learn soccer, so she bought me a Cameroon Lions jersey. And I will be dressed in those every single week or however long, however often the Cameroons play soccer so and I just want to thank you guys for being such an amazing family to me I mean I can go to Africa because I know I have all of Bethel behind me and I know that I have your prayers and I know that I have your love and your support you guys are so amazing there's no better church family on the face of the planet and I mean that with all my heart I really do you guys were there when my dad almost died and you prayed our family through it He's back playing golf and jogging miles and miles and miles. And I, I just, I can't thank you all enough for being such an amazing family. And I just, I just know that your prayers are with me. And I can go to Cameroon because there is a Bethel, Atlanta. I love you all so much. So um, we're going to give you, if the ushers will come, we're going to give you an opportunity to sew into the, her ministry. If you'll make a check to Bethel, Atlanta, everything that uh, is given right now will um, go to her. And there's a little uh, little pamphlet about the ministry. Is, uh, if you guys will come, Mike, and go ahead and hand that out. And Anthony, I uh, asked Anthony if he'd sing that song again while we're doing that. You guys uh, up for that? And uh, and then we're just going to, as a family, uh, after the song and after those are passed out, we're going to just uh, have her parent, her family, and uh, some of the leadership lay hands on her. We're going to send her with a blessing. So go ahead, guys. Thanks. Uh, feel free to put an IOU in there if you want to. Just uh, put an IOU if you didn't come prepared for this today. We'll get back with you.
Yeah.